0: Welcome to How Not to DM, I'm your host Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, a big thank you to my patrons, you help make this show possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout-out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com the number 2 dm Lastly, as of January 2022, 10% of the money I bring in from ads and supporters like you will be donated to Encircle, a nonprofit organization with a mission to bring the family and community together to enable LGBTQ+ youth to thrive. For more information on Encircle, check out my link tree or my episode notes. And now on to this episode's guest intro. Sam has been creating TTRPG content for a year and a half now, including a podcast, roleplaying and roleplaying now in its second season, TTRPG memes, a Kickstarter project, and more. The RNR Twitter account is well over 27,000 followers at the time of me recording this, which means it's probably grown more since. Sam has some great tips on the account's rapid growth, but also how he may have done things a little differently if he could go back in time. Enjoy.
1: Yeah, so, hi, my name's Sam, I run roleplaying and roleplaying, uh, as in the Twitter and the first season of the podcast. I, how did I get into TTRPGs? That's a fantastic question. I started playing D&D specifically, 5e, when I was a freshman in high school, and my uncle got me into it, invited my brother and I over to his house to play a session. And we're like, okay, I may like, and now it takes me, like, a very short amount of time to just whip out a character because i do it all the time but back then like i took hours creating this warlock i'm like oh this is so cool and then we got tpk would in the first session so that was my first experience of tabletop games just oh, no. getting absolutely nuked yeah and i've been hooked ever <laughs> since it's been a great experience that is awesome
0: yeah uh, it's funny there's kind of like two camps of people there's the people who like die in the first session and don't ever want to play again and then there's the people who are like oh i gotta keep doing this so it's it's oh, yeah. good that you're that type
1: yeah i'm a glutton for punishment so <laughs> it was just a wonderful <laughs> experience
0: all around <laughs> yeah and as a person who decided to start a podcast you feel that as well yeah we'll, we'll talk yeah, about that in a bit. seriously yeah. Uh, all right, so how did you start running games for other people? Then you started playing with your uncle back in the day, but yeah, when was the first game you ran? Kind of how did you get into it, and how did that go?
1: It so this, this ended. This was kind of like a like you know the band Heart, uh, you know like yeah, Lil Led Zeppelin or whatever, whichever one ended up being. The singer had gotten a guitar uh-huh. for her birthday, but then her sister ended up becoming like this guitar virtuoso. I'm not a virtuoso of a DM, but I got much more into D&D than my brother who was gifted D&D stuff for like his birthday. So I just kind of took all of his stuff and I decided like, okay, I'm going to run this little thing for some friends and it was horrible. It was it was bad. I I felt like an idiot and I sucked. Uh I didn't do any voices. The ones that I tried were squeaky cuz I was in high school and generally just a horrible experience. But yeah, you know, just classic high fantasy sucked, sucked so bad. I don't know what inspired me to come back, but something did, and now I, I love DMing and GMing. Really, any system. It's been a it's been a really good experience. I think I've been I think I started DMing about a few months to a year after I started playing. If I'm correct, I I don't know. Nobody else would know that but me. I don't even remember, but it's something like that. That's a good anecdote about the band Heart. That's some deep knowledge there.
0: But I like, but I, uh, I like the story you're telling there. So yeah, nice. All right. So the, the big question is your mistakes that you've made while running games. So everybody's made them from the best to the worst. What do you feel like are some of the big mistakes you've made both early on and recently that people can learn from? And these can be like specific instances or they
1: can be big kind of overarching things as part of your game. So I think my earliest and probably most egregious mistake was I originally made the games about me, my plot, my world, whatever, and the players were secondary. And That's not enjoyable for anyone except for me. And at that point when nobody else is enjoying it, I'm not either. That was a horrible mistake, right? I mean, because then the world that I wanted people to enjoy and get invested in suddenly felt forced yeah that was my worst mistake by far as of recently i I kind of let my players get away with too much now I've kind of flipped <laughs> <laughs> because I mean I have a game that's like set in space I have this pretty serious arc going for it and I've essentially just scrapped that because the players just wanted it to be funny I'm like okay whatever Matt Damon shows up in a cryopod. In that moment, when I decided that happened, I'm like, yeah, this is a comedy campaign now. I've I've screwed myself. There's no coming back from this. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Does he try to shield crypto then, too,
1: in the future? He's actually broke because his crypto didn't pan out uh, in the yeah. future. So he's completely <laughs> broke after uh, a series of bad investments.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that's so funny! It's a little bit of Cowboy Bebop. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt Damon and cryopod. That's yeah. That see, these are the reasons why I want to run a sci-fi campaign. I haven't done it yet, but there's just so much crazy stuff you can do like this. Oh, yeah, that are not available to you without really breaking immersion in a fantasy campaign.
1: So yeah, I I've been using Fate. Like this is my first time trying Fate. it is so cool. Like, the consequence system is awesome. It is so much better than just damage in D&D. Because you could be like, oh, okay, you want to take a mild consequence or, like, a severe consequence? Your arm is gone. Good luck getting a new one. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a lot more permanent. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's
0: high stakes. Yeah. All right. So... Opposite of the worst things that you've done or worst parts of your game, what are some of your favorite parts of playing and maybe some of your favorite memories around the table? And it could be as a player or running the game. You know, both are good options here.
1: Favorite parts. I really, really like it when players get invested. And especially when I'm a DM, if I get a game to that level where they feel invested enough, where they remember NPCs' names, they can recap the plot right i know i've done a good job i I feel happy about that obviously that's not mandatory but it more and more often i've been wanting to run more serious games not in terms of like oh it's this grim dark thing low fantasy where if, if he dies he dies kind of thing uh but more so like seriousness in terms of how serious you're taking the world so it's not like, oh, okay, let's just role play and make up some city called Poopfartburg. This one group that I have, they're just phenomenal. They take the world very seriously, and that's allowed me to do really cool things that I wouldn't have been able to do. They enabled that for me, which I really appreciate. And I got to say, yeah, those are probably my favorite moments when the game is taken Not necessarily seriously, but it's taken fully. You're immersed, right? Like your your immersion is a broken. So, I I mean, I was in a cyberpunk campaign with Alex, who's one of the players on the pod who's DMing this second season. And I was like a crooked politician. Uh, And I had a talk with like this cop about like rigging the elections and stuff like that. And it was so much fun just because we were both invested in it. Those moments of pure, raw investiture in a world really get my go. They're great. And I'm a chronic world builder, character, manser person. So seeing people get involved with stuff I make is awesome. And I love getting involved in stuff other people make because it's cool and it's fun. So those are definitely my best memories. And then, I mean, there's just the stuff where you're laughing really, really hard because of some thing, like the goblin who wears no pants or something like that. I don't know. But those are great. Those those are just moments I'll remember because they're fun. And I cried laughing. The duality of the game is just like a windshield wiper, just back and forth at all times.
0: Yeah, it's funny how you can produce both feelings even within the space of a few minutes right you know mm-hmm. with the way that that the game works yeah that does sound like a lot of fun i like what you said about people being invested in what you've made but also getting invested in what other people have made i think there's a lot to be said about the well what you get out of both of those situations so yeah i like that how many games are you currently running or i guess what's the most amount you've ever run at one time oh
1: I was running seven, and I was in 12. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd have, I'd have some double headers, because uh, I yeah. had nothing else to do. Uh, and I was taking a gap year between high school and college. So I just had work go. during the day, and I had nothing else to do. So I'm like, uh, people are like, hey, you want to join my game? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I've got nothing else going on. And what do you do for work? Back to, then, it was like DoorDash and like shipped. Okay. So even then, my schedule was so plenty of time to think. Plenty about it all. of time yeah. to think about all it right. all.
0: That might be doable. Still, that's pretty crazy. Yeah,
1: it, it was a lot. The podcast was barely an inkling in my mind at that point. I was just like, "Let's get as far away from the current reality as we possibly can through as many facets." Now, though, it's a lot more calm. I, I'm running. I think just two games, but I'm in obviously the podcast. I'm in a few like mini campaigns right now with uh-huh. some people from the Twitter space that I'm very excited about. But yeah, and then I people are like, "Hey, you you want to play a one shot?" And I'm like, "I'll never say no to a one shot, man. I'll, I'll I'll bring in my goblin who says, uh, you know, I'm gonna poop your pants. Like, I mean, that's a that's my perfect one shot character. I always I pull him out, and people are like, oh." That's horrifying. Why would you ever do that? You're a monster.
0: <laughs> then they don't invite you back.
1: <laughs> no, either they or do they or they do Or they do, depending on how well it yeah. goes. Yeah. I mean, the, the real ones invite me back. Let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
0: Well, 7 and then 12, that might be the most I've heard thus far. So props to you. That's quite the feat. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I don't know if it's it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is. Would recommend it. I I was mixing <laughs> up
1: characters as NPCs oh, from different games. It was it was a oh, lot.
0: Yeah. Oh jeez. All right. So who do you feel like have been the greatest influences in your style of running games? You have kind of started within the past. Well, not few years here, but you're a more recent addition to the TTRPG sphere, like myself. So I feel like there's kind of been a lot of. Or there's a lot more options of places to go to get advice and information on on the way you know to do things. So yeah, what what are some of the sources you've gone to or people you've looked up to?
1: Brennan Lee Mulligan is without a doubt my biggest source of inspiration. The man is—I don't know how he knows so much about so many topics. It's it is insane, but yeah, that that he can pull off a story and just complete control over just the tonal shifts in his game without skipping a beat. That is, to me, just incredible. Granted, his cast is absolutely phenomenal, but... Always. It's just, it's, it's incredible to watch. And Griffin McElroy is probably, to a lesser extent, but still quite a bit, another really big inspiration, especially with how he handles tangents within his group that's been kind of a big inspiration for role-playing and role-playing because, you know, tangents are a lot of fun sometimes, you know, you just kind of get off topic. uh, And that's kind of where I take inspiration for that side of things, but mostly Brendan.
0: Yeah, he is just, I don't know even know how to put it, but if whoever's listening to this hasn't gone and checked out some of the original campaigns that are available for free on YouTube or on podcasting platforms, go check out dimension Twenty and watch a master at work like you said he like embodies the character so well and he just switches to their vernacular or their lingo so quickly too like what is the principal going to say versus what is a you know a, a cop gonna say and he like uses the words and the phrases that you like i guess you hear them on tv and stuff but like he's just so good at, at picking them up at the drop of a hat and going into that mode and then switching around and it's
1: incredible oh yeah it's it's something else it's something else entirely it really is
0: This episode of How Not to DM is brought to you by Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh new look for the new year? Head on over to gemmedfirefly.com for the newest tees, mugs, and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. And now, listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com. And now, let's return to the show, starting up with a brand new minigame for Season 2. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Sam and I are going to use some random generators and dice rolls to pick a setting, theme, and goal to use in designing a TTRPG campaign. So, to start off, our setting is Western, which is quite appropriate. Very nice. Along with your, your second season you guys are doing over at Roleplaying and Roleplaying. The theme is tragedy, so a tragic Western story here. Hmm. Now, the character goals... Do you have your dice with you? And if not, I can just roll one for you. You got well, some? Of oh, course yeah. I do. No one yet has said, "Oh, I don't have my dice near me." Everyone always has them. So, <laughs> what, what, what am I? What am I pulling out? So, roll a d8 for me. D8. Ah. Uh, D10, sorry, D10, oh. and it's going to tell us what the goal is of this game. Five. To explore the unexplored. Hmm. Okay, so we've got a western. It's going to be a tragedy and the kind of overarching goal of the players to start at least is to explore the unexplored. So Sam, with those in mind, how would you start kind of putting together the skeletons of what will be this epic campaign we're, we're going to
1: play? I suppose I want to ask a constraining question. Yes. When it comes to exploring the unexplored, Is that more of a physical thing, where we are finding a place and it leads us to somewhere? Or is it exploring parts of ourselves, parts of our minds that we haven't explored, perhaps Uh, redemption or revenge or something like that, something more um, abstract?
0: I say go for the abstract if you want to. Yeah, that sounds... I mean, you could go both ways, so yeah, take what seems more interesting.
1: Whew, okay. So, I guess... In terms of Exploring the Unexplored, I mean, a Western tragedy, what comes to mind immediately for me, I'm a big Western fan, but for Western tragedy, I think of The Unforgiven. Uh-huh. A phenomenal film, really, really dark. And I, I'm, I think about just, I mean, for me, a Western is more than just a setting. You know, it's it's not just post-Civil War, in the usual southwestern part of the United States, what have you, dust, deserts, It's, it's like a concept. It's these simple story beats, these simple plots, with complex characters that are trying to realize something about themselves, such as redemption, revenge, what have you. I mean, Logan, the Wolverine movie, could be considered a Western. No Country for Old Men is a Western. Definitely. Hell or high water, definitely a Neo-Western.
0: A few more examples that are uh, recent are like The Mandalorian and Boba mm-hmm. Fett, even though they're based on a desert planet, and it kind of gives that flavor. Those are considered space Westerns, you know, so For you're sure. right. It doesn't have to be a specific setting to, to be a Western.
1: But to keep it simple, let's just let's have it be a desert area. Let's make it that it's a... It's a disk planet, like disk world. It's like a desert disk. And the reason why there's no water is because it's all flown off the edges of this disk. Because there's no way to constrain it. I love it. So we have (laughs) this sandy disk with barely any water left. And there's a legend of a supposed wellspring. Because most of the water comes from off-world. It's an exploitive system from a disc that has managed to build walls around the edges to keep in their water, which allows them to recycle it and what have you and export it to this one, which is, of course, very poor because it's not rich in said resources. And there are... It's very, I'd say, Mad Max-esque. I wouldn't go as far as an apocalypse, but there are definitely these dystopian groups and these relationships between them that are very tense, if not overtly hostile. Uh, And I think our characters are simply trying to find this spring because they have lost all other semblance of hope. There's nothing else for them. The price of water is getting too high. And in a last-ditch effort to find something they don't even know exists, It might actually save them. The tragedy is it doesn't. It doesn't exist. But out of this tragedy, out of the fact that this spring never existed in the first place, they grow closer to each other in this trial by fire. And they come to realize that the issue isn't the water not being here. The issue is the water needing to come from somewhere else it's the system. And they uh-huh. finally learned that in order to fight that they have to band together. They have to act as a unified group in order to combat that. So that I that's that's my off the dome desert disc thing. So yeah, so that's what I got. That's what I got. That's perfect.
0: I love it. So many compelling storylines you could tell. So many different factions you could include. You know, a lot of different themes you could explore. I think you've got at least a
1: level one to 10 story right there. I'll take it. Definitely pulled a Brennan by having an anti capitalist vibe in there.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, take the greats. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You've got to.
0: Uh, Okay. Especially Westerns. I feel like Westerns always have that kind of theme to them, too. You've got the robber baron on the train, or you've got the person who owns half the town or you've got the people who own the water. Yeah. Love it. All right. Let's transition now to your personal projects and your work, Sam. So role-playing and role-playing, you've talked about it a couple of times. Tell us about what it is and how it started and how it's going.
1: Role-playing and role-playing is a podcast and Twitter account I'm not going to say that it's one or the other because it's kind of become both at this stage and it's hard to kind of push them together. How did it start? R- role-playing role-playing was kind of this spur-of-the-moment thing. I, for the vast majority of my life, have not been very ambitious. I haven't been able to stick to projects very well. And I decided, you know, what's, what's another ADHD hyperfixation for a month? <laughs> and I, just, I, I reached out to two separate friend groups of mine And I said, hey, you guys want to make a D&D podcast? Uh, have a little bit of fun, you know And they're like, yeah, sure And so we uh, set this thing up It um, sounded so bad Because we recorded with a Discord bot And Apple headphones So if you listen to the first episode of the first season That is why it sounds so bad We hadn't figured out how to use local audio because none of us did any research. And I just ran a high fantasy campaign. And originally, the big gimmick of our little podcast, the big twist was that the big, big bad evil guy was going to be played by my girlfriend at the time behind the scenes. So her real actions would indeed affect the players as opposed to me playing the character in a way that could be influenced by what i where i wanted the plot to go that didn't work out as we did break up like a month after the podcast started so but it's a good idea though it, it, it could have had some wings but you know these things happen we're still friends now so it wasn't like a horrible breakup or anything but That's good. i decided i could either become super depressed from this you know i mean it was like a year and a half it was like my longest relationship And I was like, okay, I can either become depressed or I can fully throw every bit of myself into this project, which I'd never done before. And I just decided to jump with two feet and it kind of took off. I just, the way we got big on Twitter was I would just make these, originally I'd make these little dialogue posts, you know, like, oh, the DM says this, the player says this, aha, funny punchline after five lines. And I'd, I'd post it to Reddit. And the majority of people would like them. And then I get a bunch of comments that said, oh, I'll go back to Twitter. This sucks. But it, <laughs> but it didn't matter because people would no follow Reddit. me on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, Reddit is a hellscape. It is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. Twitter's not much better, to be fair. But That's true. It's gotten bad. So these these memes that I cross-posted started to generate me. Some followers, and by the time December rolled around, I got to a thousand. I'm like, "Whoa, Mr. King and the Castle, thousand followers! You're doing pretty good." And then the poop just kind of hit the fan, because January, January first, actually, New Year's Day, was when the first idea bloomed, like the turd blossom that it was. I forget what the idea even was, but from the beginning, the series of ideas was meant to be tongue-in-cheek humor it's it originally was also self-deprecating you know but it's it's grown out of that phase at this point point. and as time went on i'm like hold on i think i might be onto something here this this might be this might be my thing and it was apparently we, we started um really picking up steam especially in april to like july i think we got like Ten thousand followers in that time frame, something wacky. I, it's been it's been insane. I think I've made over two thousand at this point. I post them daily. If there are so many. It is That's it is amazing. a nonstop process to try to think of something that is even slightly different than what I have previously posted. It's just kind of become its own thing. I mean. If we had the amount of listeners that we do followers on Twitter, we'd be a large podcast, but we don't. Not remotely, because...
0: You'd be top 15, top 10 yeah.
1: God, I wish. But me being uh, an ad man and not a marketing person, I forgot to market the podcast most times. (laughs) So I was just focused on like this, this the growth of like the cows. I'm like, ooh, pretty numbers are are fun. They're they're big. So I just kept going for the next milestone, the next milestone, and then like recently, uh, the guest is like, you know, you don't promote the podcast that much. I'm like, oh no, what have I done? (laughs) So I've kind of backpedaled on that a little bit of late, and have actually started promoting the show. But that is why there are two separate role-playing and role playings. essentially. There's the Twitter account mm-hmm. with the shitty ideas and the jokes, and then there's the podcast, which is equally irreverent in a different way.
0: Yeah, I don't mean to play into your insecurities, but it was a long time before I realized that you had a I know, podcast. I it know. was just the jokes that I was, Believe <laughs> me. That I was there for.
1: So. I think that actually helped me grow not mentioning that we were a podcast because if people just think you're a meme account they're going to follow you for the memes right but if you mention that this is like oh this is a podcast about people are going to be like okay it's a podcast account you know so i think that kind of saved me a little bit by accident that was not intentional at all but yeah we're we're marketing our podcast for real now more than a year into the twitter accounts activity so yeah it's been it's been a weird ride it's been a weird ride indeed we we have season two going on right now we're starting plans for really we we have a lot of stuff going on especially for upcoming seasons that i really think will be cool i'm hoping who who knows i mean you don't Uh know until the future comes but I think what we have coming up is going to be actually marketable, I suppose, as opposed to like, listen to our podcast is right here, which, as you know, it sucks so much to market a podcast. It is so difficult to get those listens. Yeah, I mean,
0: the good news is I like what I do, and I feel like it's worthwhile for people to listen to. So it's not hard for me to tell people, hey, you should listen because I'm like, I'm proud of what I've made. But It it does suck that like you feel like you have to do that all the time and you can't just like make friends and and post memes, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's it's a weird dichotomy. I get it. I get it though. I have kind of not struggled, but I've found the same thing you're describing. Like it's easy to, not easy. It is not easy to think of memes all day, every day. But when you post memes, it's easy to gain followers and get engagement that way. Or easier than, hey, here's a clip from my latest show that talks about X, y, and Z with this guest, and you will learn some things from it. like it's easier just to like retweet a meme and, and laugh about it and keep scrolling. so yeah it it's it's just something you've got to deal with, but yeah, I'd love to know, other than like kind of stumbling through it, what do you feel like have been some of the key things that have helped? your social media presence grow that you would suggest other people try out if they're, if they're kind of trying to do that themselves.
1: I think the biggest thing that has kind of gained us the following that it has is 100% original content. I Mm. have not, I, I, in my memory, it might've happened early on. As far as I'm aware, I have not ever posted something that somebody else has made without any edits. I will always make yeah. my own memes. Uh, I always make my own dialogue. Will I repost stuff? Yeah, of course, because I'm not creative 100% of the time. But it's it's all my own stuff, and that kind of creates this place, this kind of nexus of like here is where to get the original content as opposed to like, oh, okay, here's a meme I saw on Reddit, you know? And especially with like just having your handle on that, that does a lot because once you pass like a certain threshold, your stuff is on Facebook with those big meme accounts that just share things. It's on Instagram and it's on iFunny, which is horrible, but it goes there anyways. <laughs> oh, and, and yeah. that I feel like
0: it's hard to find meme accounts. Like, I don't know whenever I, I see meme accounts that are making D and D jokes or whatever, like ninety percent of them are ones I've already seen before, so there's not a lot of people out there making. Well, I mean, there's got to be someone making new mm-hmm. ones, but not not as many as you'd think. And so I think there's definitely an opportunity there, like you're saying. Yeah,
1: yeah. I also got lucky. I mean, I, I'm not gonna say that this was all skill because it's one million percent not. But when I joined the Twitter sphere, I did it at the golden time. October of 2020 was like the perfect time to cross promote from Reddit to Twitter because it was kind of new for Twitter accounts to post their stuff there. Uh, it wasn't like a rehash, like "oh, get these Twitter accounts out of Reddit; they're ruining Reddit." I just happened to be one of the first to get to that scene. Uh, me, Oregon, rolled the twenty borks memes for a while. That was like just our scene. Uh, I, really? I would like post a meme every day not even a meme usually it was like just a text post that had my handle on it and it would get so many upvotes and that would really help growth like the cross promotion of your stuff was so crucial in the beginning obviously now i I don't need to do it people do it for me just because they want karma on reddit and they know that they can post my stuff for karma I hate Reddit, but (laughs) they—it's—it's just you have to really consider that sheer amount of engagement in the beginning is good. But my mistake was thinking that was the only metric, because I don't run a meme Uh account; I run a podcast account, and I forgot that I forgot about that. You know, that—that I think has been my biggest mistake. It's—it's kind of almost pigeonholed me into this place where it's gonna be a little tough to dig myself out. I have the audience. Whether or not they're actually gonna want to listen to what I have to say is another thing. Just a
0: quick content warning for the next seven minutes here. Sam has been working on a Kickstarter named for a successful meme series of his that includes some mild language. If you'd rather not explain that to young ears around you, skip ahead seven or so minutes for the next question. Yeah, so I know you have a Kickstarter project that's in the works that is kind of doing that. It's trying to capitalize on your audience that may have showed up for the memes and not necessarily for the podcast. So let's talk about that and kind of how you're trying to, to kind of capture the audience you've got. Yeah.
1: So I'm going to swear again, the, the shitty not compendium is a really weird project for me because originally I didn't want to do it. But people asked me, when's the compendium of shitty ideas coming out? And I'd laugh it off like, oh, uh, this is a dumb idea, probably like 2025 or something like that. But my dad, who really has been supportive of me, and will even send me some shitty ideas through DMs, he's like, here's a good one (laughs) that I made. And I'm like, that's pretty good. I'll post nice. it. He said, no, you you idiot. Why aren't you doing this? this? You could be making money right now from something just super simple. And I'm like, oh, money. Yeah, I'm a college student. That would be nice. So I decided I, I just took 20 ideas from each class for spells, monsters, plot hooks, And I compiled them. I added some helpful flavor text on how you, the reader, can make your own shitty ideas. got an artist on board. I got a consultant. And then we just kind of threw it against the wall. And it stuck. Surprisingly, I didn't think this would go anywhere. But we funded within the first six hours. And we ended up making 276% of our goal, I think, was the metric. So yeah, that's been good. That really helped. Obviously, um, the book itself isn't finished. I've written all of it, but the art is yeah. the art's just going to take a while because there's a lot of it. But it's it's insane to me that it worked because this book had no stat blocks, no math. It was just ideas. It's like the Lego Ideas book, but like worse. <laughs> Mm. (laughs) good callback
0: yeah you know though i think sometimes that's what people want as a dm like i don't know i don't know what the percentage of people out there who homebrew versus playthrough like written adventures is but i would guess that more than half of games out there are probably homebrew games and honestly yeah from a dm's perspective I don't like go looking for specific stat blocks to fit my needs. I go looking for ideas and then I make up the stat blocks. It's not hard to to make up some some numbers and kind of add it just based on the flavor that you read. So I think that that it is really a very valuable part of helping people think of new things to do in their games is to just give them ideas and, and starting points. But yeah, I especially because oftentimes people twist them and change them slightly to match their own needs. And so when you're giving them stat blocks, that's just another step for them to have the shoehorn instead of uh, starting with themselves. But yeah, I, I honestly think that there's a reason why you were so successful because it's something that a lot of people like to have.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was certainly a risk because I had no idea if that like really kind of direct non math approach to D was going to work. But I mean, they're just ideas, you know, you can take them, you could use them how you want. Retrofitting stuff to D&D is the best way to get good ideas, you know, or any TTRPG, really. It shouldn't just be relegated to D&D. But I've always been a proponent that just because something is original doesn't mean it's good, you know? Yeah. Because people will try to make these original characters, and I applaud them for it because it's really, really hard. Because everything has been done these days, but that shouldn't—it shouldn't be a bad thing to make a non-original concept. You know, like you can make that fighter who throws their shield, who is very lawful, good, you know, and patriotic, and and maybe is a (laughs) captain. Who knows? But it's, it's not about character concepts in tabletop games, at least for me. It's all about the execution of those ideas. Because you could have two captain insert your country name here that are run so very differently in the exact same setting. It's mm-hmm. just those experiences, it's the people who run them, those minute choices that just the, the butterfly effect of things that happen in a game are so essential to the little tiny bits that change a concept to a unique reality, you know? I think that the the shitty not compendium is really kind of big on that. Like I'm saying, please take these ideas, do what you need to do with them, take them at face value if you want, as long as you have fun and make them unique through your own vicarious experience. That's all that matters. Definitely yeah,
0: I'm excited to see when that comes out and see the reviews roll in. I'm sure they will be good. So as far as the, the podcast side of things, do you have advice for people who are thinking about starting a show or who have started a show but are kind of looking for ways to take it to the next level? You mentioned you started out and the audio wasn't good, but you know, you've know you improved leaps and bounds. So yeah, walk us through some of your advice for people looking to podcasts. Yeah,
1: so first things first, You really should use localized audio. Don't use a Discord bot. Dear Lord, do not use a Discord bot because it will fade in and out when people are talking. It will sound generally bad. Skype, like video recording, is a little less bad. Zoom and whatnot is a little less bad. But if you get those remote, just exclusive pieces of audio that you can individually edit and silence, it's going to take so much longer to edit, I know. But oh my lord, will it sound better? It is a world of difference to have people talking in not a vacuum. You got to have a little bit of background noise to make it not uncomfortable. But just having that without sneezes in the background or people crinkling a bag of Cheetos is it just it ups the production quality a ton. And I mean, we still don't sound professional, we're a bunch of college students with. Amazon mics, you know, but if you're going to go into that, don't get the $50 mic if you want to. It's a great starting point, but understand if you're going to, if you want to really jump into this stuff, go for the 300, go for the 400 with like the XLR adapter or whatever, because it might just be me. But sound quality on a podcast is so much of it. If it does, if it sounds grainy and stuff, I am so much more likely to just drop it instantly. It's hard to admit that too, as people who started out with not great audio, like
0: me and you, you know, like it's tough, but it's true.
1: I remember I was editing my first episode. I'm like, I hate this so much. We sound so bad. I can't believe we're putting this out. And then five sessions later, I'm like, oh, thank God. Finally, <laughs> we've got something that people can listen to in a car without it blowing out their bass or just sounding generally disgusting. And uh, that's that's just kind of a harsh reality. I don't want to be mean and be like, "Oh yeah, if your audio quality is bad, you have a bad podcast." That's not true, but it will be worse than it can be. You know, another thing: d D podcasts make the game for you. Always make sure the game is for you. Always make sure you're playing it because you enjoy it. But never forget that there is an audience. That meaning when you talk, when you are doing a fun little monologue, as a DM, write a script for a new area. Write that script for that sit you come up on so you're not saying ums and ahs because it sounds better and you can pace yourself. You don't need to say something in one take With a bunch of ums and ahs, you can just say, "Okay, I messed up. Let me try that again. I know what I want to say now, and do it all in one take." Because you can cut that stuff out, and it'll set. You'll sound like some Toastmaster extraordinaire whipping out these words with no verbal fillers or anything. And people are like, "Oh my goodness, this guy could do my eulogy, and it would sound great." I don't even know the fella, and post is your friend. Post production. Is such a godsend i don't understand how people can stream yep. because post-production is so good music especially is huge adding music will do so much for your podcast i cannot even begin to stress it because it takes just a conversation or especially a lore dump that you're doing and elevates it into something that much more interesting also understand this is a huge time suck. You will spend hours a week on it. And you will most likely hate editing unless you are some kind of sociopath. Yeah, that, that's, kind of the, that's kind of my advice.
0: Yeah, I don't think I realized the editing time it was going to take me until I started it. And I was like, oh, wow, this takes a lot of time. But I had committed to it, you know. So it does it does take a lot of time, though. You're right.
1: Yeah, especially keep in mind if you have more players... That's more story beats you got to work on. That's more relationships you got to work on. And that's one more track you got to edit. It's just, it's that simple. Yeah. All right. So
0: you talked about, you kind of the, the DM of season one, which was a high fantasy story. So tell us a little bit about the Sinner's Saga season two for role-playing and role-playing.
1: Season two is different because it sounds good. First off, it's it sounds decent. Additionally, it's a lot more, well, I mean, obviously it's a Western, it's, it's weird West, you know, it's magic in the West, which is a fun concept Uh, It's it's Deadlands-esque. It's kind of got this Mad Max vibe where this organization called the Hydro Collective owns and distributes all of the water in this kind of post-war society. There's there's some geopolitics, not nearly as much in the first campaign, because I am obsessed with geopolitics, much to the detriment of my campaigns. That's that's another mistake. Obsession with geopolitics. And the party in this season is a lot more interesting than the one in the last season. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a part of the party this time, even though it might, say, it might sound like <laughs> it. Uh, I'm not. This is a really cool party. I'm excited that I don't know really anybody's deepest, darkest backstories at this point because it's it's got this mysterious vibe to it. There's some horror elements, especially in the first part of it, that I was a little not concerned, but like just surprised by because you know I'm not running this. I'm like, oh, he's taking it in a horror direction. Okay, I suppose we can do this. So yeah, the first part of it is kind of spooky. Uh, That sets it apart, and I think the tonal whiplash, we've toned it down from the absolutely chaotic buffet of swearing and references of last season. We've kind of dialed it back a little bit to make it more listenable. It's kind of the deal. I don't want to spoil the plot of it because it's really cool, and Alex, our DM, has worked very hard on it. Apparently there's a lot of stuff to do with microbiology that comes up and it's pretty dope. So I'm excited to play it. I'm excited to finish the season and I'm excited for anyone to give it a listen. Cool. Cool.
0: Do you, you mentioned, uh, you've got a couple of other projects on the horizon, anything you can share with us?
1: I'm not entirely sure because I'm not running them. I'm just, I'm a part of them. So I don't know. I don't know if I can sworn the secrecy or anything. But I will be on some new streams. Also, if you want to have me on a stream or something, just reach out. You know, I enjoy this kind of stuff. And I don't know. Shoot. What can I say? I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can.
0: Yeah. Don't worry about it. Let's not get your trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Everyone's got their secrets, right? So oh. I feel like all of my guests have had at least one or two things they can't say anything yeah. about. All right. So, you talked about advice for podcasters. How about advice for DMs and GMs? If you had to kind of distill down, you know, all of the thoughts and ideas in your head into a few key points
1: to uh, recommend to people, what would they be? My advice to, I guess, just generally masters, I guess, game masters, dungeon masters, the, the whole shtick, never take yourself seriously never try to overthink something never try to really grapple with what you think your players are going to do next because if you're taking it that seriously it's going to hurt you because you cannot and i promise you you cannot possibly predict what is going to happen in the next session you can try you can try to push it in a direction without railroading it but you cannot attempt to predict you can you can do a little skeleton outline that's totally fine in fact i'd recommend doing a skeleton outline for things you'd like to do next session but they should just they should be just that things you would like to do next session because for me a really big thing that i have sort of learned is that player agency is key to enjoyment Especially when determining where their stories are going to go, especially if they haven't figured out what their backstory is, letting them make something up is really good. Because that organic kind of genesis of something new is so much better in game than it is out of game. And encouraging players to be a part of your world by making it super accessible and changeable in small enough ways that doesn't upset the tone of the game, but makes them kind of pseudo DMs, like just little, little baby DMs, is really big to me. Because then you can start taking the world seriously and then you can start making these decisions that you wouldn't normally be able to make because people are now invested, because you've given them that chance. Unless you, I mean, obviously, Session zero is hugely important. Talk to everyone about everything before you go into it. But if you're like, oh, this is a serious, grimdark campaign, that better be what it is, you know? But again, don't take yourself too seriously. Understand you're going to make mistakes. Understand you're going to set up some plot threads that aren't going to work out. And that's fine. Because I would guarantee you, whatever mistakes happen, you're not going to look back on them as mistakes if they're just you trying to plan stuff because whatever the players come up with will be genuinely more fun and genuinely better for the story because they did it you're working around yeah. them and they're working around you it's this it's this symbiotic relationship as opposed to one over the other
0: yeah 100 percent. i found that a lot of the Best role playing moments are player initiated rather than me initiated. Like, oh, this is going to be this cool set piece or this conversation that I'm planning. It's always more interesting when they say, "I want to go have this conversation," and you're like, "Ooh, okay." You know, you know what's this gonna what's gonna happen? What are they gonna say? Yeah, I I always find those to be the most rewarding. Hundred percent.
1: I think one more thing: if you're comfortable with it, you should try DMing. Because being behind the table gives you so much more perspective of what happens. Ever since I've DM'd, I now try to be like I try to think about what the DMs going through, and then I try to start those conversations. Because I know in my games, I would really like it if a player did that there, you know? And I love mm-hmm. players who do that. I love players who are DMs. They are so great. They know exactly <laughs> what I want in a game. Yeah, that's that's just kind of it. Try to go behind the screen if you're comfortable with it, because it can open up, one, a love for DMing, which is great, and two, a new perspective when you're a player.
0: Yeah, awesome. So Sam, where can people find more about your account, your show, your Patreon,
1: your Kickstarter, all of the stuff? You can find the funny jokes and posts about the podcast when they come out at our Twitter, which is at r role playing that is r o l l like dice playing haha ha, it's a funny joke that is where you could find that stuff additionally our website is linked there our website has everything you could possibly want from us it has a defunct wiki page even that i need to update it's got discount codes it's got our merch if you want to buy role playing and role playing booty shorts which i still need to do as well as the Kickstarter, the Patreon, whole shebang. As for me, Sam Cummerford, you can find my account at samcomerford24 on Twitter where I post things. not going to put a label on them because I can't. It's, I, I post stuff there. I'd appreciate if you check those out.
0: Awesome. I'll include links to all that stuff in the episode notes as usual all right well sam it's been a ton of fun like i said i've been following your account probably like since the first month of me being active and working on this project i'm pretty sure i stumbled upon it and i've been following it ever since so it's been fun watching your growth and your journey and also making another friend out here so appreciate you coming on and really
1: enjoy everything you've been putting out so far. Yeah, i appreciate being on the prestigious how not to dm podcast this has been awesome Thank you for listening
0: to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, Nathan of Reckless Attack. Like I said, it's so easy for people to discount your stuff. Uh, There's so much content out there. There's so many podcasts out there, streams and games and whatever. And you can't be the first one to undercut yourself. You have to start from a position of positivity, of enthusiasm. You have to celebrate what makes you unique and interesting. You're not just a 5e podcast. You're not just a bunch, of, a bunch of idiots around the table who are friends and decided to throw an iPhone in the middle of the table. You are whatever gets you guys excited about your game. Someone else is going to be excited about it, too. And that's what you got to hit hear more about nathan's advice for marketing your work whatever it is about his commitment to quality and his content and more tune in next week remember to check out my patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks next time you get the chance share this episode with your friends and family around your game table another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on apple podcasts or rating the show on spotify i appreciate all of you for helping the show grow Thank you to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacad. And the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some Nat20s for me.